Amen. Well, I am happy to be in Kansas today, and uh, we had a wonderful men's conference. Uh, <laughs> it's much nicer looking in this auditorium with ladies here today, I must tell you, uh, but 500 and some men, and it was powerful to hear them sing. I wish you could have heard it. Just stirred my heart. And to see what God is doing in your church and how the Lord is using you, I'll say more about that later today, but very refreshing, very, very refreshing. I am just glad to be alive today. I, did you know it's difficult to get to liberal Kansas? It's very hard to get here. And I travel all over the country every week, and uh, this, was very, this was a challenge. And so uh, it was a day full of flying, you know, trying to, trying to get here. And they flew us into Garden City the other night about uh, 10.30 Friday night, and uh, a storm came in and lots of fog. Visibility was down to almost nothing. And uh, the pilot came on the uh, intercom, and I could tell by the tone of his voice. I fly every week, and I could tell by the tone of his voice he was not having a good evening. And uh, he said, we're going to try to put you on the ground. That's exactly what he said. And he said, and if it doesn't work, we're going to take you back to Dallas. And I thought, that's not good. And so we're all praying, of course. And he came in for a landing, and he missed the runway. And when we finally could see lights, it was obvious we weren't where we were supposed to be. So he pulled straight up, and we dove up through the clouds. And uh, he didn't say a word to us. You know, by that point, I just wanted to hear his voice and know he was still up there. And he circled for about 10 minutes and came back and tried it again. And this time he found the runway going as fast as he could possibly go. And he set the plane down so hard. It was the worst landing I've ever had in my life. And we staggered our way down the runway, him trying to get control of it, finally came to a stop. You know it's bad when the people on the plane cheer when we finally stop because they <laughs> spontaneously erupted into applause and praising God. And so, I honestly, I'm glad to be anywhere today. I'll just tell you that. I really am. But I, I'm most grateful to be here and uh, to get to study the Word of God with you. Over the last few days, God has taken me back to a certain portion of Scripture. And when I say the Scripture, you're going to say, oh, we know that already. You know, I think sometimes the Scriptures we miss the most are the ones we know the most. It is the familiar text that we have this tendency to breeze over and say, we've heard that. We know that already. It's amazing, though, how God can take you back to a familiar portion of Scripture and turn the light on. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's not that there's anything new there. By the way, if any preacher ever tells you they found something new, run from them. There's nothing new in the Word of God. There's no new thing under the sun. God's Word is eternal. It doesn't change. Forever settled. But watch this. Though it is not new, it can be fresh. There's a difference. And sometimes at certain seasons of life, God will take you back to a Scripture or bring a Scripture to mind and in a fresh way open it to you. And in the last few weeks, God's been doing that with a couple of verses to me. And I've just been thinking, meditating, praying my way through it for me, not for you. And I have not preached on it. But I, I believe this is the portion of Scripture God wants us to study as a church together today. And so what I intend to do is I'm going to take you to a Scripture when we get there, if you'll mark your place in the Bible, you'll be ahead of everybody that didn't come to the Sunday school hour this morning. Aren't you glad you came? And uh, I'm going to introduce it, lay a little foundation, and then we're going to come back to it in the morning meeting. We're going to come back to it in the evening meeting, and we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit of God will be our teacher. How many of you have a Bible with you? Would you hold it up in the air just a second? Do you love the Bible? This is God's Word. 
And I want you to open God's Word with me in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, to the chapter of Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews, of course, is a book of better things. In fact, that's the great message of the whole book, that Christ is better. Better than what? Yes, better than everything, better than everyone. Fill in the blank, make your list, whatever it is, Christ is better. Nothing like knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is, the nearer you get to Christ, watch this, the better your life is. You see, this is not just some pie in the sky, oh yes, we believe Christ is better. No, no, watch please. The nearer you get to Christ, the better Christ makes every area of your life. So this is not only a deep, profound portion of the Bible. This is a very personal and practical one. And when you come to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, we read these words, wherefore. Now, when you see a word like wherefore or therefore, it always makes you back up because it connects to everything that came before it. Keep that in mind. We're coming back to that. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every way and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We are living in a world that is in total contradiction to Christ. For the record, it always has been. You know, we American Christians are spoiled. That's what we are. We're just spoiled. We've known nothing of persecution. We've known little of difficulty. We think we are martyrs when we are inconvenienced. When we get to the judgment seat of Christ, I think we're going to have to step to the side and let all the people that really knew something about suffering and sacrifice step up and receive the real rewards. I, I think most of us have, have developed not an Acts Christianity, an American Christianity that is weak, anemic, and powerless. So, when contradiction comes, when difficulty arises, when some sinner stands up and blasphemes God and mocks our faith, then suddenly we think, what's going on here? Look, you shouldn't be surprised that that kind of thing happens. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. In other words, your faith in God ought to be so grounded, so rooted in the Lord that the storm can come, but you are not going to be moved. And when you come to this portion of Scripture, you come to a portion of Scripture that I think pertains to every person in this room, everybody, because in reality, all of us have our race to run. In fact, Brother Dave and I were talking earlier, we all have a path. All of us have a path. My path's not yours. Your path's not mine. Let me tell you the one thing we have in common. All of our paths are leading to the same place. They're all leading to the throne of God. Somebody said, where's all this going to end? Let me answer that for you. At the nail-pierced feet of Jesus, that's where it's going to end. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. 
But between where you are and that day, your path is going to have some twists and turns. Your race is going to have some obstacles and opposition. Your, your race is going to require certain things. And I believe God gave us these, these verses, this portion of Scripture, to help all of us not just start the race, but finish the race. And if you'll keep that thought in mind, I'll return to it in the last things I say to you at the close of this Lord's Day tonight, like bookends on the day, because really this is the great thrust of this passage. And I'm, I'm praying while I'm preaching this morning. I'm praying not just for you, I'm praying for me. Dear Lord, help me to finish my race. I want to get to the end like Paul and say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. But you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Unless you're willing to do what God says in Hebrews chapter number 12. And there's really three parts to this. And part number one, we've got to listen to the witnesses who came before us. That's what we're going to deal with in this hour. Then, you've got to look to Jesus. That's very important. That's what we're going to talk about in the morning hour. And then, you've got to be willing, and this is really hard. This is the hardest thing. We're going to deal with this tonight. To lay aside every weight and sin so you can run your race with patience. Let's start where God starts. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's interesting. He uses the word seeing here. That's, that's an I word. But in fact, what he's calling on us to do is listen to them. <laughs> because they are witnesses. What do witnesses do? They speak. So watch, please. Our eyes must be open and our ears must be open. Would you just pray right now? I'm serious. Breathe a prayer to God right now. Dear Lord, help me be wide open to God today. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And let the, let the church have their ears open to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In other words, what God is saying is I've got something to show you and I've got something to say to you and you've got to get in a place where you're ready to receive it. I wonder, are you on God's frequency this morning? You hear the music in this room right now? It's beautiful music. Everybody listen really careful. Somebody said, I think that preacher's crazy. He's lost his mind. No, no, it's here. And if you brought me a radio and let me start to tune the dial, immediately somebody would say, oh, we know that song, or, or I know that station, or we recognize that voice. But watch this. The music was actually here all along. You just had to get some receiver on the same frequency to pick up what was already there. May I say to you, there is a God, and He is speaking and he's looking for some people who are not so in tune with this world that they can't receive what he has to say. They are in tune with God to see what God wants to show them and to hear what God has to say to them. Will you be that person? Somewhere write this down, would you please? Just this little expression across the top of your paper. Listening to the witnesses. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to listen to the witnesses. A few days ago, a friend that I've not talked to in a long, long time gave me a call. Tammy was in the car with me. We were actually headed to speak at a couple's retreat. And my friend said to me, my dad died. He was heartbroken. He said, he's my best friend. My dad died. He said, Brother Scott, he said, I know he's with the Lord. And, 
He said, I've just been struggling over the last few days. And he said, lots of friends have been trying to help me and trying to encourage me. And he said, one of the things that people keep saying to me is, well, you know, Earl, your dad is in heaven and he's looking down on you and he's watching you. He's got his eye on you. He sees what's going on here. And he said to me, do you actually believe that's true? I said to my friend, where they get that from usually is Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. This great cloud of witnesses. In fact, I've actually heard it preached that in this race, this, this stadium of life, uh, that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses in heaven. It's almost like that's the grandstand of glory, and they're looking at us, and they're cheering us on, and they're observing us on our race. May I just say to you, if you believe that, I'm not going to argue with you, but I don't believe that's accurate. In fact, I don't think it would be much heaven for them to watch what's going on on earth right now. And I do not believe the people in heaven are taken up with what's going on earth. Let me just let you in a little secret. When you get in the presence of God, everything else is going to fade away. Like when you get there, you really think they're going to want to know what's going on down here? And in fact, theologically, I think it's a misnomer, like they're living in time. No, no, they're now living in eternity. We're caught in time. I think they're going to just turn around and we're going to show up. See, they're living in the eternal now because they're living in the presence of the eternal God, the great I am. Oh, that's powerful to think about, isn't it? No, no, I don't believe, watch this, that they are witnesses of us. I believe they are witnesses to us. In other words, the whole point of the passage is that there's a great cloud of witnesses, watch this, who've already run their race, who've already gotten to the finish line, They are not spectators of us. They are participants in the same race of faith who have now finished their course with joy, and they stand as a testimony, as witnesses to us, that the life of faith is the greatest life on earth. In other words, the witnesses are fellow runners who are just further down the race than we are. How many of you know you can learn a lot more from people who are a little older than you? And these people are not only older in that they've lived longer, these people are more mature in that they've already finished their race, they've seen what comes at the end, and they're standing at the end of the race, at the finish line where Jesus is, and they're saying to us, hey, it's better than you ever imagined. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it's not entered into the heart of men the things God has prepared for them that love him. Keep on running, buddy. Lay your weights aside. Lay your sins aside. Forget all that crowd that's mocking you from the sidelines. Keep on running. You can't believe what's waiting on you at the finish line. When you listen to the witnesses of Scripture, that's their testimony. Now, remember I said to you that the wherefore takes you back to the previous chapter. Watch this, please. Really, the verses we read are just a continuation of the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. So it's my conviction that the actual witnesses here that are being referred to are these men and women of faith in this great classic chapter of Hebrews 11. You know, I'm grateful for chapter and verse divisions. I really am. If we didn't have them, we'd all still be looking for Hebrews 12 verse 1 right now. But you do understand they were not given when Scripture was given. They're not inspired. They've only come into being in the last few hundred years, and I'm grateful for them. But the one danger is sometimes we see them as hard breaks, like, you know, well, that's the end of that thought. No, no, that's just a chapter division. 
It's a great tool to Bible study, but you got to read through the chapters. you got to read through the verses. See, look, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, and all Scripture is connected to all other Scripture. All the parts make the whole. This is a progressive revelation. It builds on itself. So you got to keep on reading. So, so do something with me. Go back in your Bible a page or two. Skip chapter 11 just a second. We'll come back to it. Go to chapter 10. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This thought of faith and the right race of faith doesn't even start in Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews chapter number 10 with me. Now let's start down in verse number 34. He says to these people who are having a hard time, by the way, for he had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven, that's the finish line, a better, there's the key word of the book, and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of, what's that word, church? And remember Hebrews 12, we're to run the race with what? Patience. It's the same principle. You have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. How many of you are glad there's an after? We're doing the will of God now, but there is an after, friend. There's more to come. Oh, yes, God always saves the best for last. And look at verse number 37, for yet a little while, I like that expression, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by what? Faith. You might even mark in your Bible, this is one of four times that expression is found in the Bible. Now when God repeats himself, it's never because he forgot he said it. My mama growing up, if if she said something once, I was supposed to listen. How many of you mothers say amen to that? And if she said it twice, I was really supposed to listen. If she had to say it three times, it was too late to listen. You know what I'm talking about. When God says something over and over and over, it's because there's something here he doesn't want us to miss. This is the fourth time in the Bible we read this expression, the just shall live by faith. It's not just how you get saved. It is your life. Listen to me, please. The Christian life is a faith life. The race is run by faith. That's not just how you come to God. It's how you stay right with God. It's how you go on with God. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the what? Substance. Would you do something? Go back to verse 34 of chapter 10 and mark the last two words, enduring substance. And then come to chapter 11, verse 1, and circle the substance and connect the two in your Bible. I love this. People treat the faith life like it's some really vague out there kind of thing. You know, it's just something you can't quite put your faith. No, no, it's substance, friends. It's substance now, and it's enduring substance for all eternity. Look, we got too many people living for earthly stuff instead of enduring substance. Let me just tell you, you got a beautiful church building. This is an amazing facility. I loved walking through it yesterday. But someday, I hate to tell you this, someday this is all going to burn. You know that, right? And you're not going to be here for it. At least I hope you're not going to be here for it. But someday it's all going to be gone. All the stuff we, we live for is not enduring. But God says, if you learn to live by faith, oh, the faith life brings every good thing, and it brings an enduring substance to your life. Would you like to live a life of substance? Then you must learn to live by faith. That's not my word. No, don't take my word on it. 
That's the word of every one of the witnesses who has ever lived, who comes to the end and says, you know what? Some things didn't matter. But one thing did. My faith in God. My favorite biography is the life of Borden of Yale. It's a powerful story. You should, you should read it. William Borden, heir of a multi-million dollar fortune, believed God wanted him to be a missionary. So he gave it all away. They wrote about him in the newspapers. They mocked him. said he was a fool. He gave it all away. He was burdened to reach Muslim people in China. He went to Cairo, Egypt to study the language. And while he was in Cairo, he contracted a disease and died. He was 25. He wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible before he died the words, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. It's an amazing story. When he died, they made fun of him. They literally wrote in newspapers, Borden dies a fool. He had given all of his money away. He died alone in Cairo. They thought that was it. And now, wait a minute. The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth how long, church? Mm-hmm. I read his life story when I was 25, Pastor. And I got to the end of the book, and I realized he was 25 when he died, and it just staggered me because I thought, if I died at this age, would anybody say that was a man who lived his life by faith? See, we treat faith like it's for old people, really sick people, and people with big problems. Well, let me just give you this thought. You're going to get old, you're going to get sick sometime, and we're all going to have some problems. But the reality is, faith's not for some people, it's for all people. Apart from faith, you cannot please God. That's why Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, 22, have faith in God. That's why John wrote in 1 John, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Faith. If you go to Cairo, Egypt, you can find Borden's grave. It's in a little cemetery, it's grown over with moss, and very few people visit it. Very few people would even know who he is. Would you like to know the epitaph on his grave? Beneath, beneath his name and his birth date and death date, it simply says this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what a great life is. A great life is not a life where you get a lot of stuff. A great life is where you live a life of such faith in God that people have to say, I'm going to tell you one thing, that man, that woman walked with God and lived by faith. There is no other explanation for their life. So let's get real personal for a moment. What are you believing God for right now? I'm not simply asking, did you believe on Christ to be saved? I'm asking, are you living by faith at this moment? See, that's the key to the whole thing. Matter of fact, look at Hebrews 11 with me. You're there. Look at Hebrews 11. Verse number 3, through what? Mark it in your Bible, verse 3, through faith. Verse 4, mark the first two words, by faith. Verse 5, by faith. Verse 7 actually begins and ends with by faith. That's pretty good. Verse 8, by faith. Verse 9, by faith. Verse 11, through faith. Verse 17, by faith. 
Verse 20, by faith. Verse 21, by faith. Verse 22, by faith. Verse 23, by faith. Verse 24, by faith. Verse 27, by faith. Verse 28, through faith. Verse 29, by faith. Verse 30, by faith. Verse 31, by faith. Verse 33, through faith. You get the picture yet? See, even sometimes when we study Hebrews 11, we're looking at the wrong thing. We get so bogged down with the people, we miss the principle. Like everybody wants to go to Hebrews 11, talk about Noah and talk about Abraham, talk about whoever is in Hebrews 11. Look, if you talk to them, they don't want to talk about them. They want to talk about God. It is not about the men and women of faith. It's about the God they believed. And I have no idea who I'm talking to you right now, but I guarantee you in this room somewhere there's somebody, you're, you're struggling. You're struggling in some way, trying to figure out the next step, trying to figure out how to deal with this, trying to figure out what decision to make, trying to figure out. Let me tell you what the answer is. You ready? Faith in God. Oh, it's too simple, preacher. I'm telling you. You, you don't have to believe me. You, you can go right on, figure it out on your own, try to get somebody else to help you if you want to. But if you will learn to put your trust and confidence in the Lord and like a muscle exercise the little bit of faith you have, you will see God step into the middle of all of that and do what you could never do in a thousand lifetimes. There is a miraculous life to be lived. And it, my friends, is the life of faith. And here's the beauty of it. You ready for this? It is not the strength of my faith. It's the object of my faith. Jesus came along and said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that's pretty small. See, sometimes we almost treat faith like it's something we're trying to muster up. We're, we're mustering up our faith, trying to get faith strong enough to see God really do something. Do you think God actually blesses because you are strong? He blesses because he is strong. So whatever you're dealing with right now, it's not the measure of your faith. Rather, it is the greatness of your God. And, and we're going to learn this a little later today, but faith is actually getting your eyes off of yourself and on God alone. That's what all the witnesses say. I was meditating this week on this expression, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And it dawned on me that faith is a byway. By faith. It's a byway. Do you know what a byway is? A byway is a lesser traveled side road. That's the meaning of a byway. It means, you ready for this? Not many people take that route. Yet may I submit to you that God's byway is actually his main street. It is the main road that leads to the throne. And it is the delivery route from which every good thing comes back from God. God's byway, by faith, is the high road. It lifts you above this world. It lifts you above the best men can do. And it gives you access to all of the riches of God in Christ Jesus. So I wonder, are you going to take the road everybody else takes? Or would you be willing to get off on the Lord's little byway here? Frost wrote the poem about two roads converging in a wood, and I, I chose the road less traveled by, and that, he said, has made all the difference. 
And I tell you why the people in Hebrews 11 ended up in Hebrews 11? Not because they were perfect. Matter of fact, if you look at them, there's a whole bunch of flawed people in Hebrews 11. You know what they all had in common? They all came from different backgrounds, had different personalities, had different circumstances. They all had one thing in common. They all lived their life by faith in God. And I'm going to tell you, in the end, the only thing that matters is this. Are you living by faith? I did something the other day. In fact, I could show you. Right here in the back of my Bible, I, I sat down and I made a list. I walked through Hebrews 11 and I made a list. Of all of the good things faith brings into life, you ought to do it on your own. Not while I'm preaching later this morning, but on your own time today. Take Hebrews 11, get a blank sheet of paper, walk through Hebrews 11, and listen to all the witnesses. Just listen to them. Listen to them talk. I mean, it just flows out of them. And make a list of what Noah says, if if you'll trust God, you get this. And Abraham says, if you trust God, you get this. And Sarah says, if you trust God, you get strength. You understand what I'm saying? All of the good things that are connected to the faith life. Do you know why? Because this is the Christian life. And if you want to run your race with patience, and if by God's grace you want to finish well, all the witnesses say the same thing. You're going to have to learn to live by faith. And the sad reality is, Most Christians live one of two ways, neither of which are by faith. Most Christians either live by their feelings or by force. They're either just whatever their emotions say today. Let me just tell you, you let emotions run your life, emotions will ruin your life. Faith doesn't fool in the realm of the emotions. I believe emotions can be sanctified. I love sanctified emotions when I'm worshiping God. But listen to me, God always begins his work in the will And the hardest thing you have to do is choose against your feelings sometimes and say, you know, I don't feel like this is going to work out right. I don't feel like I know what to do. I don't feel like I sense God's presence near, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to trust God and believe God right where I am. Watch this. You exercise your will, eventually your emotions will catch up. And on the other hand, far too many Christians just trying to live by force. That's why there's so many frustrated Christians. I'm talking about good church members who come to Sunday school. And they are utterly defeated in their Christian life. And do you know why? Because they're trying to live the Christian life in their own power. And God never designed it to be lived that way. God designed it to be lived one way, by faith. Our Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. And I pray that faith will come today by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Oh, Lord. As we enter into this portion of Scripture, would you lead all of us into a new realm with you? Would you cause us to be different people because of us? Oh, Lord, let us end up being some of those same witnesses who live by faith and finish with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.